Good to see you. Um, we started a series a few weeks ago called um, Courageous Community. And uh, just the premise of, of that is simple. You know, we are called to be uh, courageous. We're called to be bold about um, our faith. We're called to be bold about, you know, the, the, the advancement of the, of the gospel. And, and uh, we shouldn't be afraid or, you know, discouraged by that. There shouldn't be anything that, um, based on knowing the mercies of God and, and understanding what God has done for us, there should be, you know, no concerns as far as, you know, what people will think about us or, you know, how people will, you know, treat us or, you know, receive us. It's just one of those things that I think um, what we see in Scripture is that the church was so courageous. They were so bold. They were fearless. And I think that's what we ought to be. We ought to be uh, bold, courageous, fearless uh, uh, followers of Jesus. That's what we're called uh, to be. And so um, Philippians is a, just an incredible book about uh, Paul's letter he wrote to this church um, in Philippi. And, um, and I just want to share with you just a, a little bit of his circumstance as he's writing to this church in, in Philippi. Um, before I do that, there's a story that um, I share sometimes, and maybe you've heard it before, but uh, there's a story of three men that were in a uh, hospital waiting room. And a nurse uh, walked into the waiting room and told one of the men, said, Sir, uh, your wife just delivered uh, twins. And the man was surprised, and he said, twins, wow, that's incredible. He said, you know what's weird about that? He says, I, I work for the Minnesota Twins. Five minutes later, the, another nurse comes into the room and says to the other man, second man, says, sir, uh, your wife just had ba- a baby, and she had triplets. And, he, and the man said, wow, that's crazy. He says, I work for a company called 3M. Just a second later, the third guy grabs his jacket and starts headed toward the door. And the nurse said, sir, where are you going? He says, I'm out of here. I work for 7-Up. <laughs> you know, sometimes there's circumstances that we just can't run from. We just can't run from them. And Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 1. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to go there, Philippians 1. If you, if you don't, we have it up on the screen. But uh, here's what Paul says in Philippians 1, and starting, we're going to start in verse number 12. He says, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. You say, what was his circumstances? Well, here's what we know about this letter that Paul wrote to this church in Philippi. We know that Paul, when he wrote this letter, he was in prison. He was in prison. Now, he's... This is prison that not like Western prison. You know, this is not a prison where, you know, you're guaranteed three meals a day. You're going to have some time, you know, outside. You know, you're going to, you know, have some downtime. You know, this was prison where, you know, you weren't guaranteed another meal. This was the kind of prison that you didn't have like a soft cot to lay on. And you certainly didn't see the light of day. This was the kind of prison that Paul experienced, and this is the circumstance that Paul couldn't run from. So, but he says, you know, what something that is I think is pretty incredible. He says, "I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstance circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel." That he viewed his circumstance, his circumstance of being in prison. And I don't know, nobody would want that. Whether you're in prison here or prison then, nobody would want that circumstance. And Paul couldn't run from that circumstance. But he viewed it as a greater progress. 
He viewed it in that way. He says, my circumstance has turned out for greater progress. You say, why did it turn out for greater progress? Well, here's why. Because Paul was saying that he had an opportunity to share the gospel with all of the Roman soldiers that were chained to him. You see, a part of that being in prison was is that he was chained to Roman guards 24 hours a day. They would work in six-hour shifts. So every six hours, there would be a new Roman guard that would, he would be chained to. And Paul viewed that as an opportunity to share the gospel. Paul's like, hey, listen, I got this guy. He's chained to me. You know what he's going to hear for six hours a day? He's going to hear about Jesus. He's going to hear about the hope that you can have in Jesus. He's going to hear about how you can be forgiven and how you can be set free. Paul's saying, even though I'm in physical chains, I am not in spiritual chains anymore. My life has been set free and forgiven from any oppression or any bondage that I have experienced in my life. And certainly sin in my life, I have been set free from that. And, he, and he, every guard that he was chained to said, hey, do you know about Jesus? Hey, you know about Jesus? He's incredible. Hey, have you heard about Jesus and what Jesus is? He's amazing. Every single one. And Paul's going, every one of these guards are hearing the gospel of Jesus and committing their life to him. He says, my circumstances has turned out for the greater progress. You know, it's interesting that phrase, greater progress, that phrase is, is a phrase that is derived from the term pioneer advance, pioneer advance. So Paul's view of this greater progress was a pioneer kind of a progress. It was a, a new way. It was a new territory. Paul viewed his circumstances as a new opportunity a new territory that he was exploring to share the gospel of Jesus. It was just this new approach that he took. And I don't know about you, but I know this, that you and I have been called to be pioneers in sharing the gospel of Jesus. That you and I have a unique situation. You go to a workplace, you go to a school, you go and do life. And you know what? You have a unique opportunity to explore territory that I can't go to. And each one of us in this room have territory that you go to as you do life, that you have territory to go to. And you know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, I'm using this territory, I'm using this circumstance, whether I like the circumstance or don't like the circumstance, that's beside the point. I'm using this circumstance to advance the gospel and there are greater progress is happening. It is a pioneer opportunity. And I gotta tell you, as followers of Jesus, as servants of God, you have in your workplace a new territory that you can explore. In your schools, you have a new territory that you can explore. In wherever you go do life, in a gym, you have a new territory that you can explore. Go to a restaurant, you have a new territory that you can explore into sharing the gospel of Jesus. And this is what Paul is saying. And Paul's saying, listen, if God can use my chains, he can use anything, right? I mean, Paul's like, these are chains. I'm tied to these guys. But if, Paul, if Paul's saying, if God can use my chains, he can use anything. And my question for you is this, what do you have that God can use? I mean, for Paul, it was his chains. 
For Moses, it was his rod. Remember the Old Testament, Moses? You know, God said, Moses, hey, Moses, what's in your hand? Moses said, this is my rod. And God says, I want you to lay it down. Moses laid it down, picked it back up. You know what they was referred to? The rod of God. Moses laid down what was in his hand. Moses knew shepherding. It was a shepherd, their staff, their rod. That was what they had to steer and to guide sheep. It was his livelihood. It was his provision for his family. And God took what uh, Moses had in his hand, his rod, and God used it in a mighty way. You remember the, uh, the fight against the Amalekites? Moses had to hold the rod up in the air, and as Moses was holding the rod up in the air, they would experience victory. When Moses got his arms retired and the rod went down by his side, you know what they experienced? Defeat. It was the rod of God that God used to hold the rod up in the air for God to experience, or God for Moses to experience victory in his life. And after a while, Moses' arms were getting tired. So here comes Aaron, here comes her holding his arms up in the air. Why? It was the rod of God. It was a simple stick that God used to do amazing things. It was with that rod that the plagues came about. It was with that rod that Moses held up and the Red Sea parted. Was there something supernatural about the rod? No, it was just a representation of something insignificant that God can use. That's what it was. It was something insignificant that God can use. And that's where you, need, you and I need to take courage. Because I don't know if you feel like you have a whole lot to offer to the advancement of the gospel, but I got news for you. You do. Because whatever you're holding in your hand, whatever it is something that you're passionate about and you love to do, you know what? God can use it for his glory. We can go on and on with this. I mean, remember David? David was getting ready to fight this giant. I don't know if you've heard this story or not, but you should read about it. And David was getting ready to fight this giant and he was getting ready. And Saul's, the king is going, well, if you're gonna go and fight this guy, you might as well wear my armor as you're doing it. So they put on Saul's armor on David and David's going, you know, he's probably like, this is, I can't even walk in this stuff. You know, this is like heavier than I am, you know? And he couldn't, he's, David's like, you know what? I'm just going to take this off and I'm just going to use my sling. Can you imagine the chuckle? <laughs> Look at that shepherd boy. He's got a cute little sling. Come on, come on, work with me, people. Like, come on. He's like, He's like, ah, man, I got the, and Dave was like, I got my sling, you know, oh, let me, you know, I'm walking down, oh, there's a brook. I probably need five smooth stones. Smooth stones. Why did he need five smooth stones? Because Goliath had four brothers. That's why he needed five smooth stones. He was a sure shot, by the way. That's how much confidence David had in his life. And he picked up one of those rocks and man, he put it in his sling and, and Goliath is talking trash and David's talking trash in the name of God. And he's whipping that sling around and foo, man. And I'm certain that God just put a charge in that rock right between the eyes. There goes the giant. David stands on top of him, takes out his sword. This is my favorite part of the story and chops off his head. What a guy, right? What a guy. What was that about? It was just the sling that David had in his hand, this insignificant sling that God used for his glory. What do you got in your hand? What do you got in your hand? For Paul, it was his chains. And Paul could have been like, oh man, I got to, oh, in prison, oh, 
I gotta sit in here. I, there's nowhere to, you know, lay my head. And I, oh, I got, I could, I could be out there doing more for you, God. You know, he could have been complaining, but no. You know what he realized? Here's what he realized: that God will put chains on to accomplish a pioneer advance that could never happen any other way. Do you realize that? God will put chains on you that will accomplish a pioneer advance. You say, I don't like my job. Well, it's a mission field for you. I don't like where I go to school. Well, it's a mission field for you. That's what you're meant to use it for. That's why you're there. I I don't know where you're at in your situation in your life, but here's what I know. It doesn't it doesn't, isn't an oversight on the throne of God. It isn't an oversight in the kingdom of God. God has you there for a reason. For what reason? For greater progress. For greater progress. He will put chains on you to accomplish a pioneer advance. He will. You say, how do we go about this? What does this look like for us? How do we continue to, you know, be pioneers and advance God's kingdom? And, 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 and by the way, Paul, you know when a time where Paul could have been discouraged, he wasn't, he was encouraged? You know a time when Paul could have been like feeling sorry for himself, but instead he wasn't, he was encouraging the church of God? As a matter of fact, you see that. Look at verse 14, if you can throw that up for me. Look at verse 14 in Philippians 1. He says this. And that most of the brethren trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment, why, what happened? Have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. That as a result of Paul's imprisonment, as a, as a result of his chains, it encouraged others. It gave others the courage to go and speak the word of God without fear. They're thinking, well, if Paul's in prison, if Paul was willing to go to prison for the, for the cause of Christ, then whatever happens to me, so be it. And they went, they went out, they took courage in that. They were without, it was without fear that they spoke the word of God. Why? It was a result of his circumstance. In a time where Paul could have felt discouraged, he didn't. He encouraged. And I don't know about you, but maybe in a time where you feel discouraged, maybe that's the best time for you to start encouraging. In a time where you feel defeated, maybe that's the best time for you to empower. In a time where you feel like all is lost and there doesn't seem to be any hope ahead of you, maybe that's the best time to give somebody a word of encouragement because that, what does that do? That gives someone else courage. Wow, they're going through that? I have more courage now. While they're dealing with that, I am gonna walk without fear. This is what God has called us to, church. He's called us to be a courageous community. He's told us as we look at, open up God's word and we see the story of Paul and the letter that he wrote to the church in Philippi. You know what was written all over that letter that he wrote to the church of Philippi? Rejoice, 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 take joy. He says, I rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Really, Paul, in prison? Yeah, because my joy comes from the Lord, not from my circumstances. And I'm going to use my circumstances to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ because he's the hope to the world. It's a courageous community. So he says, 
hey, it's offered encouragement to others. But how do, what do we do about that? How, do, how does this go about in our life? How do we make this practical? Well, skip down. We skip down a few verses to Philippians uh, 1, verse 27. And here's what Paul says. Here's the mindset that we need to have. If we're going to be pioneers for the gospel, if we're going to look at our circumstances as an opportunity to uh, pr- you know, progress the gospel, then this is what we need to do. He says, only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now that word con- conduct means this. It means a city or a colony. It's sort of a weird word, play on words that Paul uses here. That, that idea of that, to conduct or only conduct it is, is the idea of city or colony. What Paul is saying is this, and here's, here's where um, you know, it's, it's so amazing. You should read the Bible and you should do a study on the Bible. It, it's, it's incredible because here's what, he's, here's what he's playing off of. Philippi was a colony of Rome. Philippi was a colony of Rome. So he's writing this church in Philippi, which is a colony of Rome. It was known as Little Rome, Little Rome. And they, the people of Philippi, they took pride in that. They took pride in being known as a colony of Rome. And they were careful not to bring shame on their city. That's how much pride they took into it. They didn't want to bring any shame on their city. So they worked hard at being honorable citizens in fear that they would be removed. And so this is the culture in the city, and Paul knows this. And so when Paul says that you're to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, he's using that word conduct and talking about city, and there's a colony, and there's citizens of this city of Philippi, which is they're wanting to make sure that they bring glory to the glorious nation of, of, of Rome. And so that's the mindset. That's what they had. And so what Paul is saying is this. The church, the church is a colony or the church is a city of heaven. That the church is designed to be a little heaven. That when people see your conduct, when people walk through these doors, they should get a little taste of heaven. You say, us? Me? Yes. That's why Paul says, conduct yourself. Looks like you take pride. So he's telling this church in Philippi, just like you take pride in being a little Rome, that you take pride in being a citizen of Rome, you and I need to take pride that we are citizens of heaven. Do you know that? You're acting like you don't know that. Your home, if you know Christ, is in heaven, that's, your, that's, your, that's our home. This is just, we're just foreigners here if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus. We don't necessarily fit here if you're a follower of Jesus. But we're called to be here as ambassadors, he says. The Paul says that we're ambassadors for Christ, that we're placed here, we're positioned here. That we, but we need to conduct ourselves, all of us, need to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. That the gospel of Jesus is about hope. The gospel of Jesus is about forgiveness. The gospel of Jesus is about demonstrating grace. The gospel of Jesus is about being patient. The gospel of Jesus is about, you know, loving people unconditionally. That's what the gospel of Jesus is all about. And when people experience you, when people see our conduct, 
it should be like a little taste of heaven. So ask yourself, hey, when people run across me, am I like a taste of heaven or what? Not me, but are you? I know I am. No, I'm just kidding. I, th- this, is the, this is what Paul's telling them. Hey, you're a citizen. You're a citizen of heaven. The church is a, a, a little city of heaven. And so how do we do that? How do we conduct ourselves in that manner? Well, look what he says. He tells them this in verse 27. So conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm. Standing firm. Now, here's what you need to know. When you and I conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, you're in for a battle. You're in for it. You're putting yourself in the front lines of the battlefield. You're opening yourself up to the attacks of the enemy. And so this standing firm concept is a military concept of of keeping your post and standing at your post no matter what comes your way that you're guarding whatever it is that you're guarding, whatever that is important to you, whatever that is you know, valuable to you, you're guarding that. And what the enemy is trying to get you to do, the enemy's trying to get you to run away. The enemy's trying to scare you. The enemy's trying to intimidate you. The enemy's trying to tell you that what you believe isn't true at all and just walk away from it. What good is church doing for you? The enemy will tell you. What good is it doing for your kids? The enemy will tell you. And these are all lies. And here's what Paul is saying. You and I need to stand firm. Stand firm. No matter what he's coming at you with, we need to stand firm firm. There's a, there's a story in the Old Testament. It's a great story. It's Shema, who was one of David's uh, mighty men. David had a group of mighty men, like bodyguards, and when David was king. And one of those mighty men, his name was Shema, he was responsible for, apparently he was responsible for, responsible for this plot of land that had seed in it. And the seed most likely was for food for, um, for the soldiers, And so Shema was placed with a few other soldiers, was placed in this plot of land to protect it, to guard it. Well, they got word that some Philistines gathered a troop. That's what the scripture says. It says they gathered a troop. You say, what is a troop? A troop is a a group of soldiers made up between 300 and 800 soldiers. 300 and 800 men. And they hear that the Philistines are coming towards them, are coming after them to destroy their their seed, their land of seed. And Shema and his men know that they're coming and Shema's men become afraid. They are like, it's just a few of us, maybe there was 15 of them, but there's like 800 of them coming at us and they were afraid. So Shema's men said, you know what? We're out of here. They can destroy our seed all they want. And Shema said, I'm standing firm. Shema said, I have an allegiance to the king. He's my king. He's my Lord. And he wants me here. This is where I'm going to be. 
And they start coming to Philistine soldiers, 300 to 800 of them. Who knows? Let's say 500. 500 of them come towards them. Shema's men scatter. They're afraid, but not Shema. Shema says, you got you coming at me. I got a responsibility of taking care of this little small parcel of seed. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take care of this parcel. They start coming at him. Shema fights all of them. And it says that the Lord had a great victory that day. You know what Shema did? Shema went Rambo on 500 of those Philistine soldiers and he took them all out. What a story, huh? Read your Bible. It's incredible. And so you got to, it's amazing. So Shema's like, where did that come from? Well, it came from the Lord. And it was because of Shema said, you know what? You're gone. You may have walked away, but not me. Not me. Yeah, it got hard for you and you decided to quit, but not me. Yeah, you got scared and you weren't sure about whether it was important for you to stand and guard this parcel of, of seed. But Shema said, if my Lord and my King wants me to stand firm and guard this, I How faithful are you in the small things? How faithful are you in the small things? For Shema, it was like, he, yeah, he could have walked away and been like, yeah, man, I mean, we we're outnumbered. It was 500 to 15. We were outnumbered, David. Nope. You know how Shema experienced victory? He, he stood firm. And as a result of that, God brought about a great victory. As a result of that, Shema's name is written in the scriptures as being one of the greatest men in scripture. I mean, don't, isn't that incredible? I mean, I, I hope that you know that when you stand firm in what you believe, when you stand firm, committed to the gospel, you know what's gonna happen in your life? You're gonna experience victories that only come from God. Amen. That's it. And you were outnumbered and people walked away and people quit on you and people gave up. But you know what you decided to do? Stand firm. Stand firm. How faithful are you to the small things? Maybe, maybe it's your job. Maybe your, your job is just to, you're just to be committed and faithful and a witness at your job. Stand firm. Stand firm. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you know you're, 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 you know, you got these kids and you're trying to take care of these kids and raise these kids and you know, and you're just like you're at home all the time and you you sometimes don't even get out of your pajamas, you know, and because you have so many different things going on. Listen, I know that my wife's a stay-at-home mom. She works harder than I do. Just don't tell her that. You stand firm, be committed to what God has called you to do, however small that is, however big that is, or however small that is, stand firm. Maybe you serve in a church. Maybe you're one of those people that are on the rotation downstairs in kids' church. You know, you're like going, oh, man, I got to work this month. Oh, man, these kids, you know, and oh, I know your, your kids are sweet angels. I know, I know. So it's not as hard here. But, you know, some churches, it's not easy to work with kids and change your kids' diapers and, you know, make sure your kid doesn't run out of the room and, you know, all these different things. That, yeah, I know your kid doesn't do that. But listen, there's some places it does. But listen, maybe you're just called to be faithful to Faithful to a little. And I'm telling you, when you stand firm, the gospel is advanced. When you stand firm, you're gonna experience victories in your life. When you stand firm. 
The enemy, he doesn't want you to stand firm. He doesn't want you to. He wants you to get discouraged. He wants you to quit. He wants you to think that God isn't real. He wants you to believe that your faithfulness is all not. Stand firm. As a matter of fact, Paul told us this. He says this in Ephesians 6. He says, he says finally, he says, I just want you to know this, church in Ephesus. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Where does our strength come from? It comes from God. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. He is scheming for you. Look at me, look at me. This is, if you didn't hear anything else all day, he is scheming for you. He is scheming. He's got a game plan for your life. And his game plan for your life is, is simply this. If he had a business card, here's what his business card would say. Steal, kill, destroy. Satan. You got it. That's it. That's his business card. His business card is, hey, how you doing? I'm Satan. Here's my mantra. Here's my motto. Here's my you know, theme. Steal, kill, destroy. That's what he wants to do. And he is scheming for you. And he is that snake slithering into your home, wanting to divide and conquer you. He is that roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, wanting to destroy you. And Paul's saying, hey, listen, church, stand firm. Stand firm. You know what else Paul says to do? Look what he says in verse 27. Not only are we to stand firm. I'm sorry, I didn't read through the whole verse. I'm sorry. That's okay. Keep, we can move on. Philippians 1. Thank you. He says, you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So the other thing that he says that we, we need to do, and this is important for us as a church, is that we need to strive together. Strive together. That word, that, that phrase strive together is an athletic phrase. It's an athletic term. And what Paul is doing here is he's moving from soldier to now athlete. That's what he's, he's, he's using. And so he's describing us as striving together. He's describing a team. That's what he's describing. He's saying the church is like a team. It's like a team. Just like a team, in order for a team to have success, in order for a team to experience win, wins in their, in, in their team, on their team, that they need to work together. That it's not about one individual person. It's about the group collectively working together, knowing their roles. Listen, not everybody in the church is a quarterback. Not everybody in the church, you know, is a, is a pitcher, you know, or bats cleanup or, you know, it, it, what, what, a point guard. We all have different roles that we play. I mean, I remember, you know, in high school, like being in a high school and playing on a basketball team, you know, I, I got the majority of the shots. It was great. They would run plays for me and all the team, all the players on the court, all five guys had to work together in order to get me a shot. It was awesome. And then I went to college and then everybody was as good as I was and I didn't get as many shots. But I had to learn how to change my role. 
I had to learn if in order for our team to experience success, I had to learn how to adapt to what was best for the team. Have you ever heard the phrase, there's no I in team? You ever heard that? Well, there's no I in church either. You can write that down. I'll give you time to write that down. That was good stuff. You guys can use that. There's no I in church either. Listen, there's a role. And here, let me tell you this. Listen, let me tell you this. This right now, okay, I love sports metaphors because I just love sports. This right now is like, this is not the Christian game. This is not the game. This is a timeout. This is halftime. You know where the game is played? Out there. And I don't mean to use it as that Christianity is a game. It's not. I mean that our life of following Christ is not made up of between 11 a.m. and 12.10 on Sunday mornings. That our life of following Christ is more, has more to do with what we do and how we conduct ourselves out there than it does in here. You know what this is? This is just a timeout. This is just a timeout where we gather the team together and, and as a coach, you know, I guess I get to play the role of the coach. As a coach, you're all sit, 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 you know, having a seat and I'm looking at each one of you going, keep going, keep, keep battling out there. I know that the enemy's, your opposition's coming at you, but keep fighting, stand firm, don't quit. You know, love your wife, love your kids, honor God, be a witness at work, keep serving, show up to church more. That was just for me. And so... That's what I'm supposed to do. This is just a timeout. This is just halftime. We're in the locker room. This is our locker room. We should call this the locker room. Let's just rename this room the locker room. This is the locker room. The game is out there. You being Christ-like, you being Jesus to a world that needs to see it is out there. Not in here. We're, you know what we're all good at? We're all good at being Christians in here. Give yourself a round of applause for being a good Christian in this room. That's easy. Now I'm gonna be tough coach. That's easy. This is not Christianity. Christianity is done when you're being Jesus out there. But you know what we need to do? We need to, and this isn't gonna work if we're, individuals. This isn't going to work if we're selfish. This isn't going to work if we want all the glory. What it's going to work, what, how it works best is when we strive together. When we're a team together and we're, we get our roles together and we go and say, this is our, our opponent is the enemy and he's trying to discourage us, but together we're not going to let it happen. Now go back out into the game and play hard. No, I'm not done yet. If you think, I'm just gonna keep going on with this. If you think that you're LeBron James, you're not. If you think you're Tom Brady in the church, I got news for you. If that's who you think you are, you're not. You're not. 
And God doesn't, in the church world, God, listen, he doesn't need another LeBron. He doesn't need another Tom Brady. God needs a bunch of people that are in together, working collectively, striving together for the cause of the gospel of Jesus. That's what he needs. And I just want to encourage you to do that. And that's what the community did. That's what the church did. They were courageous when they did that. They were bold. They were empowered when they did that. But it's us striving Together, we need each other, we need each other. I need you, I need you to be a part of this. I need you to engage in the game. I need you to be a, a role, to take on a role in this team. More importantly, God, need, God wants you to do that. God wants you to do that. Whatever role that is, whatever that looks like, you're like, I'm game because I want to see the, the gospel advanced. And I want to God use it in a pioneer kind of way, a new way that we've never seen before. Even the chains that I have in my hand, even what little I have in my hand, I have something to offer to the kingdom of God. You do. You do. Stand firm. Strive. Strive together. And you know what happened to you when you do that? Look at it says in verse 28, and I'll be done. He says this in verse 28. When we stand firm, when we strive together, when we conduct ourselves in a, in a manner worthy of the gospel, he says this, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them. You know what that means? You know, here's what he's saying. That you're not even afraid of, you're not even concerned about whatever is coming against you. That you no longer care anymore that whatever the enemy is trying to do, whatever scheme he has for your life, that he's trying to knock you off and, and get you to you know, leave or walk away or quit, that it won't even be alarming to you. You won't even care. And you will show them to be powerless just as they are. They're powerless. The enemy, he lost his sting. He is powerless over you. And you're in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of their destruction. But here was what Paul says. He says, but, but of salvation for you. Here's evidence of your salvation. Here's fruits of your salvation. That you stand firm and you strive together. And you'll be like Shema. You'll experience great victory that the Lord brings. I'm gonna invite you to stand if you would. I just believe so much in the church. I believe so much in you. More importantly, God does. God does. And, and I wonder if sometimes we just allow discouragement to get the best of us. We allow our circumstances to get the best of us. We don't view our circumstances as an opportunity to advance the gospel or allow the, for there to be greater progress. We, we use it just to complain. 
We use it just to blame God. We use it just to blame the church. We use it to blame whoever we wanna point the finger at. That's one of his schemes. So stand firm. Stand firm. But you can't do it alone. Can't do it alone. He'll eat you up. He'll eat me up. That's why we have to strive together. Strive together. We're a team. We need each other. If you want success, if you want wins in your life, you need the team. You need the team. So Brent's going to lead us in this song. The song is just the idea of just stand, the stand, it's called. And it's a declaration for all of us in this room this morning. To say to God, God, I'm standing. I'm standing. That the powers and principalities and darknesses of this world that Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 6, that I'm gonna do everything that I can to stand firm against his schemes. I'm standing firm in what I believe and what I know to be true. You do that, victory in our life, victory. Brent, would you lead us?